0: Chapter Eight, Part One of Celebrated Crimes, Volume Three, Mary Stewart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dini Steyn, Kelowna, Canada. Celebrated Crimes, Volume Three, Mary Stewart by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Eight, Part One on landing on the shores of england the queen of scotland found messengers from elizabeth empowered to express to her all the regret their mistress felt in being unable to admit her to her presence or to give her the affectionate welcome she bore her in her heart but it was essential they added that first of all the queen should clear herself of the death of darnley whose family being subjects of the queen of england had a right to her protection and justice mary stuart was so blinded that she did not see the trap and immediately offered to prove her innocence to the satisfaction of her sister elizabeth but scarcely had she in her hands mary stuart's letter than from arbitress she became judge and naming commissioners to hear the parties summoned murray to appear and accuse his sister murray who knew elizabeth's secret intentions with regard to her rival did not hesitate a moment he came to england bringing the casket containing the three letters we have quoted some verses and some other papers which proved that the queen had not only been bothwell's mistress during the lifetime of darnley but had also been aware of the assassination of her husband on their side lord harry's and the bishop of Ross, the queen's advocates maintained that these letters had been forged that the handwriting was counterfeited and demanded in verification experts whom they could not obtain so that this great controversy remained pending for future ages and to this hour nothing is yet affirmatively settled in this matter either by scholars or historians after a five months inquiry the queen of england made known to the parties that not having in these proceedings been able to discover anything to the dishonour of accuser or accused everything would remain in status quo till one of the others could bring forward fresh proofs as a result of this strange decision elizabeth should have sent back the regent to scotland and have left mary stuart free to go where she would but instead of that she had her prisoner removed from bolton castle to carlisle castle from whose terrace to crown her with grief poor mary stuart saw the blue mountains of her own scotland however among the judges named by elizabeth to examine into mary stuart's conduct was thomas howard duke of norfolk be it that he was convinced of mary's innocence be it that he was urged by the ambitious project which since served as a ground for his prosecution and which was nothing else than to wed mary stuart to affiance his daughter to the young king and to become regent of scotland he resolved to extricate her from her prison several members of the high nobility of england among whom were the earls of westmoreland and northumberland entered into the plot and undertook to support it with all their forces but their scheme had been communicated to the regent he denounced it to elizabeth who had norfolk arrested warned in time westmoreland and northumberland crossed the frontiers and took refuge in the scottish borders which were favourable to queen mary the former reached flanders where he died in exile the latter given up to murray was sent to the castle of lochliven which guarded him more faithfully than it had done its royal prisoner as to norfolk he was beheaded as one sees mary stuart's star had lost none of its fatal influence meanwhile the regent had returned to edinburgh enriched with presents from elizabeth and having gained in fact his case with her since mary remained a prisoner he employed himself immediately in dispersing the remainder of her adherents and had hardly shut the gates of lochleven castle upon westmoreland than in the name of the young king james six he pursued those who had upheld his mother's cause and among them more particularly the hamiltons who since the affair of sweeping the streets of edinburgh had been the mortal enemies of the Douglases personally six of the chief members of his family were condemned to death and only obtained commutation of the penalty with an eternal exile on the entreaties of john knox at that time so powerful in scotland that murray dared not refuse their pardon one of the amnestied was a certain hamilton of bothwellhow a man of ancient scottish times wild and vindictive as the nobles in the time of james i he had withdrawn into the highlands where he found an asylum when he learned that murray who in virtue of the confiscation pronounced against exiles had given his lands to one of his favorites had had the cruelty to expel his sick and bedridden wife from her own home and that without giving her time to dress and although it was in the winter cold the poor woman besides without shelter without clothes and without food had gone out of her mind had wandered about thus for some time an object of compassion but equally of dread for every one had been afraid of compromising himself by assisting her at last she had returned to expire of misery and cold on the threshold whence she had been driven on learning this news despite the violence of his character displayed no anger he merely responded with a terrible smile it is well i shall avenge her Next day, Bothwell Howe left his Highlands and came down disguised into the plain, furnished with an order of admission from the Archbishop of St. Andrews to a house with which this prelate, who, as one remembers, had followed the Queen's fortunes to the last moment, had at Linlithgow this house situated in the main street, had a wooden balcony looking on to the square and a gate which opened out into the country. Bothwell Howe entered it at night installed himself on the first floor hung black cloth on the walls so that his shadows should not be seen from without covered the floor with mattresses so that his footsteps might not be heard on the ground floor fastened a race-horse ready saddled and bridled in the garden hollowed out the upper part of the little gate which led to the open country so that he could pass through it at a gallop armed himself with a loaded arquebuse and shut himself up in the room all these preparations had been made one imagines because murray was to spend the following day in Linlithgow. but secret as they were they were to be rendered useless for the regent's friends warned him that it would not be safe for him to pass through the town which belonged almost wholly to the hamiltons and advised him to go by it however murray was courageous and accustomed not to give way before real danger he did nothing but laugh at a peril which he looked upon as imaginary and boldly followed his first plan which was not to go out of his way consequently as the street into which the archbishop of st andrew's balcony looked was on this road he entered upon it not going rapidly and preceded by guards who would open up a passage for him as his friends still counselled but advancing at a foot's pace delayed as he was by the great crowd which was blocking up the streets to see him arrived in front of the balcony as if chance had been in tune with the murderer the crush became so great that murray was obliged to halt for a moment this rest gave bothwell howe time to adjust himself for a steady shot he leaned his arquebus on the balcony and having taken aim with the necessary leisure and coolness fired bothlehow had put such a charge into the arquebus that the ball having passed through the regent's heart killed the horse of a gentleman on his right murray fell directly saying my god i am killed as they had seen from which window the shot was fired the persons in the regent's train had immediately thrown themselves against the great door of the house which looked on the street and had smashed it in but they only arrived in time to see Bothwell Howe fly through the little garden gate on the horse he had got ready. They immediately remounted the horses they had left in the street, and passing through the house pursued him. Bothwell Howe had a good horse and the lead of his enemies, and yet four of them, pistol in hand, were so well mounted that they were beginning to gain upon him. Then Bothwell Howe, seeing that whip and spur were not enough, drew his dagger, And used it to goad on his horse his horse under this terrible stimulus acquired fresh vigour and leaping a gully eighteen feet deep put between his masters and his pursuers a barrier which they dared not cross the murderer sought an asylum in france where he retired under the protection of the guises there as the bold stroke he had attempted had acquired him a great reputation some days before the massacre of St. Bartholomew, they made him overtures to assassinate Admiral Coligny. But Bothwell Howe indignantly repulsed these proposals, saying that he was the avenger of abuses and not an assassin, and that those who had to complain of the admiral had only to come and ask him how he had done and to do as he, as to Murray, he died the night following his wound leaving the regency to the earl of lennox the father of darnley on learning the news of his death elizabeth wrote that she had lost her best friend while these events were passing in scotland mary stuart was still a prisoner in spite of the pressing and successive protests of charles nine and henry three taking fright at the attempt made in her favour elizabeth even had her removed to sheffield castle round which fresh patrols were incessantly in motion but days months years passed and poor mary who had borne so impatiently her eleven months captivity in lochleven castle had been already led from prison to prison for fifteen or sixteen years in spite of her protests and those of the french and spanish ambassadors When she was finally taken to Tutbury Castle and placed under the care of Sir Amyas Polet, her last jailer. There she found for her sole lodging two low and damp rooms, where little by little what strength remained to her was so exhausted that there were days in which she could not walk on account of the pain in all her limbs. Then it was that she, who had been the queen of two kingdoms, who was born in a gilded cradle, and brought up in silk and velvet was forced to humble herself to ask of her jailer a softer bed and warmer coverings this request treated as an affair of state gave rise to negotiations which lasted a month after which the prisoner was at length granted what she asked and yet the unhealthiness cold and privations of all kinds still did not work actively enough on that healthy and robust organisation they tried to convey to Paulette what a service he would render the queen of england in cutting short the existence of her who already condemned in her rival's mind yet delayed to die but sir amyas paulet coarse and harsh as he was to mary stuart declared that so long as she was with him she would have nothing to fear from poison or dagger because he would taste all the dishes served to his prisoner and that no one should approach her but in his presence in fact some assassins sent by leicester the very same who had aspired for a moment to the hand of the lovely mary Stuart, were driven from the castle directly its stern keeper had learned with what intentions they had entered elizabeth had to be patient then in contenting herself with tormenting her whom she could not kill and still hoping that a fresh opportunity would occur for bringing her to trial that opportunity so long delayed the fatal star of mary stuart at length brought a young catholic gentleman a last scion of that ancient chivalry which was already dying out at that time excited by the excommunication of pious v which pronounced elizabeth fallen from her kingdom on earth and her salvation in heaven resolved to restore liberty to Mary, who, thenceforth, was beginning to be looked upon no longer as a political prisoner, but as a martyr for her faith, accordingly braving the law which Elizabeth had had made in 1585, and which provided that, if any attempt on her person was meditated by, or for, a person who thought he had claims to the Crown of England, a commission would be appointed composed of 25 members which to the exclusion of every other tribunal would be empowered to examine into the offence and to condemn the guilty persons whosoever they might be babington not at all discouraged by the example of his predecessors assembled five of his friends catholic as zealous as himself who engaged their life and honour in the plot of which he was the head and which had at its aim to assassinate elizabeth And as a result, to place Mary Stuart on the English throne. But this scheme, well planned as it was, was revealed to Walsingham, who allowed the conspirators to go as far as he thought he could without danger, and who, the day before that fixed for the assassination, had them arrested. This imprudent and desperate attempt delighted Elizabeth, for, according to the letter of the law, it finally gave her rival's life into her hand orders were immediately given to sir amyas paulette to seize the prisoner's paper and to move her to fotheringay castle the jailer then hypocritically relaxing his usual severity suggested to mary stuart that she should go riding under the pretext that she had need of an airing the poor prisoner who for three years had only seen the country through her prison bars joyfully accepted and left tutbury between two guards mounted for greater security on a horse whose feet were hobbled these two guards took her to fotheringay castle her new habitation where she found the apartment she was to lodge in already hung in black mary stuart had entered alive into her tomb as to babington and his accomplices they had already been beheaded Meanwhile, her two secretaries, Curl and Now, were arrested, and all her papers were seized and sent to Elizabeth, who, on her part, ordered the forty commissioners to assemble and proceed without intermission to the trial of the prisoner. They arrived at Fotheringay the fourteenth of October, fifteen eighty six and next day, being assembled in the great hall of the castle, they began the examination. At first, Mary refused to appear before them declaring that she did not recognize the commissioner as judges they not being her peers and not acknowledging the english law which had never afforded her protection and which had constantly abandoned her to the rule of force but seeing that they proceeded none the less and that every calumny was allowed no one being there to refute it she resolved to appear before the commissioners we quote the two interrogations to which Mary Stuart submitted, as they are set down in the report of Monsieur de Bellievre and Monsieur de Vilroy. Monsieur de Bellievre, as we shall see later, had been specially sent by King Henry three to Elizabeth, intelligence for Monsieur Vilroy, of what was done in England by Monsieur de Bellievre about the affairs of the Queen of Scotland in the months of November and December, 1586 and january fifteen eighty seven the said lady being seated at the end of the table in the said hall and the said commissioners about her the queen of scotland began to speak in these terms i do not admit that any of you here assembled is my peer or my judge to examine me upon any charge thus what i do and now tell you is of my own free will taking god to witness that I am innocent and pure in conscience of the accusations and slanders of which they wish to accuse me, for I am a free princess and born a queen, obedient to no one save to God, to whom alone I must give an account of my actions. That is why I protest yet again that my appearance before you be not prejudicial either to me or to the kings, princes, and potentates my allies nor to my son and i require that my protest be registered and i demand the record of it then the chancellor who was one of the commissioners replied in his turn and protested against the protestation then he ordered that there should be read over to the queen of scotland the commission of virtue of which they were proceeding a commission founded on the statutes and law of the kingdom But to this Mary Stuart made answer that she again protested that the said statutes and laws were without force against her, because these statutes and laws are not made for persons of her condition. To this the Chancellor replied that the Commission intended to proceed against her, even if she refused to answer, and declared that the trial should proceed, for she was doubly subject to indictment the conspirators having not only plotted in her favour but also with her consent to which the said queen of scotland responded that she had never even thought of it End of chapter eight part one